This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Everyone ready? Uh, Evan Lowenstein. He hasn't said anything yet. Uh, Evan, you've already got fans, but uh, you've said something which I think is might make you rather unpopular. You said that as an artist, and Evan, you're an artist and an entrepreneur, very successful uh, uh, folk uh, singer, also uh, the, f- uh, the founder and CEO of Stage It. You said, as an artist, it's our responsibility to know what our fans want better than they do. So Evan here knows better than all of you guys. So Evan, defend yourself. What did you mean by that? Well, I specifically meant that uh, as artists, we have our, our fans are our, our customers. And uh, sometimes we have to be very careful uh, the specific example in the context that I mentioned in that, in that uh, article was that um, we have to be very careful when we listen to our fans and to what extent. So we need to pay very close attention to our fans as consumers, as customers, and then give them back something, what we think they want or what we know they want and not necessarily what they're asking. There's a famous, um, I believe it's, uh, it was Henry Ford, I think, said the line. If, my, if I asked my c- customers what they, uh, what they wanted, they would have said faster, faster horses. Um, I don't think that consumers knew they wanted a car because it hadn't existed. So in the, in the uh, specific context of that, um, I was saying that when an artist walks off stage and the fans scream for an encore, <coughs> uh, the artist will come back. Um, but I think that you'll be hell-bent or hard-pressed to find a time when there aren't fans who are saying, come back, come back. And I think that an artist needs to know at what point they say, okay, enough's enough for tonight to leave the audience wanting more. And we live in a generation where, um, <clears throat> where you know, Google and social media has allowed fans the ability to have an artist on their terms whenever they want. So we need to be a little bit mindful of that and try to bring back mystery in this relationship. Um, and there are ways in which you can do that and stage it as one of those things. So that's what I was talking about. Uh, the modern, I think, the, the modern equivalent of Henry Ford is Steve Jobs, who very famously said about the iPhone, I don't know if it was the iPhone or the iPad or the iPod, said something like, you know, we don't ask, we don't ask consumers what they want, we tell them what they want. So <coughs> you are in the music business then, either perhaps Steve Jobs or uh, Henry Ford. What are you doing at Stage It that tells the fans what they want and are they happy with it? Well, we're not. We're actually not. So, so we are and we aren't, right? So, the fact is that um, artists, by their very nature, are entrepreneurs. They're content creators. They're passionate as hell what they do about what they do, and nobody knows what they do and their relationship with their fans better than they do. So, what we've created with Stage it is a platform that allows the artists um, to be able to do that. You know, I, I sat down with uh, had the uh, the opportunity to sit down um, with Lior Cohen recently, and the first thing he said is, "What's the secret sauce?" Lior Cohen, Lior Lior Cohen, the chairman of Warner Music, Group. right? And he said, what's the secret sauce of Stage It? And I said, honestly, it's just getting out of the way and letting an artist and, and the fans get, come together. And the, we give the artists a lot of flexibility on how much to charge, how to charge. We have a, a feature called Pay What You Can. Um, for those of you who don't know, Stage It's an online platform that allows artists to connect with their fans through video, through live experiences um, online. It's uh, almost like video Twitter, if you will. Um, but the experiences can be anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes. Um, we have a tip jar on the back end. So some artists, every artist um, is in a different phase. The artists are in different phases of their career. Um, for, if you're an emerging artist and you're just starting out, you're, you're very much into using social media, getting out there as much as you can, 
um, as you become a more established artist, you have to be a little bit more mindful about how you relate with your fans and how much you do that. And it's just a little bit of, uh, so I don't want to say playing the game, but there is an element of how to connect with your fans where you keep it interesting for, for you as well as for them. And so um, our platform allows every artist of different size to, to, to use the tools that we've created for them to create that, keep that interesting. And yes, they are very much liking it. So we're, we're very fortunate. We're very excited about that. So Evan, the future of the music business, if there is to be a future, uh, is about the relationship between the artist and the fan. You say it's about dating, love, texting, and marriage. Uh, where's the money in that, though? Isn't there a fundamental problem in that the fans don't want to pay and the artists to be artists have to be paid yes absolutely first of all i didn't write that that was the uh the i guess the editor put that headline in there never blame editors <laughs> never blame editors uh here's 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 what it is so i personally believe that there's a that there's become a challenge with uh with fans paying for static content um and um i believe to to better understand why fans are not paying for content we have to look at it from their vantage point for starters, to date, I don't think we've really given um, a lot of opportunities for fans to, to pay. Um, but uh, before I get into that, I will tell you that um, the challenge is that fans value time. Um, my fans, as I've mentioned before, maybe people have heard this, um, I've said that my fans are store clerks, they fold t-shirts at the Gap, they're kindergarten teachers, and they're surgeons. Um, and um, they can't, this notion of of cutting and pasting, of recording a record for six months and then asking someone to spend 99 cents on, on a single or, or a record months if not years after the song was done is, uh, is, is a little bit foreign to them. They can't fold one t-shirt and then cut and paste. They can't uh, you know, do a surgery uh, and then cut and paste. Every single thing that they do requires them to be present in the moment. And so what we're doing with Stage It is recognizing that fans will spend money for an experience, for an artist's time. So we've done away with the video, uh, video on demand. We're going directly to a video on demand generation and giving artists the ability to say, I'll be playing tonight at six o'clock and it will not be archived. We believe in value equals experience over frequency, which is that the value of any experience is in direct proportion to the frequency of that event. Um, <clears throat> and so we believe that what we're doing is by creating these once in a lifetime experiences, uh, even if they happen every day, um, is, a, is a real value to the artist. And again, it's just, it's thinking with the fan, uh, and with, with sort of the fan's eyes, because a fan goes to work every single day and has to put in an honest out eight hours or whatever it is of their time. And um, when they see an artist on the other end who's actually there present with them, they, they find a tremendous amount of value. And, and to, to, to a guy who makes $35 an hour, or $8 an hour, they're gonna, they're gonna pay differently than a person who makes 500, or maybe not, maybe differently in terms of one might pay less or more. But the point is that people are, we're giving the fans the ability to pay for an experience and they're really, really showing us that, um, that there's a, a lot of value to that. So there's money in intimacy. There's a tremendous amount of money in intimacy, absolutely. And what is the impact of this new, perhaps we might call intimate or uh, intimacy economy? What's the relationship between that and piracy? Because of course it was piracy that played an extremely important role in destroying the original recorded music industry. Well, there is no piracy uh, in this situation because we don't archive anything. So an experience is not something that can be pirated. Um, we believe that it's very difficult to monetize that which you cannot exclusivitize. Uh, so in this scenario we've created, 
um, we are selling experiences and you can't pirate an experience. An experience is something that you live through and you enjoy and um, something you take with you forever. So we have actually sidestepped the whole notion of piracy. Uh, I'm not saying it's not a real issue to be uh, contended with, but for our platform, uh, we don't even we don't even deal with it. We're, we're selling an artist's uh, time and their experience and the fans are paying for it. So, so you can't pirate intimacy. Uh, what is the biggest challenge in, from an economic point of view in this new model? What are you struggling most with? Um, I, interestingly enough, I think it's just about, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, for us, we need to ramp up and getting more artists on the platform. And I think there is a, uh, when, it's when we talk to people within the industry themselves, I think there's a challenge uh, for them to understand. The audience seems to understand it incredibly well, um, but sort of, uh, it's, it, there's a little bit of an education hurdle in terms of the industry themselves getting it. Uh, when I sit and talk to people about it, it takes a few minutes, but once they see it and they experience it, uh, we're over that hump. So that's just, if that's our biggest problem, I will absolutely take it. So the audience is ahead of the artist? The audience, uh, uh, yes, in many respects. I know that sounds silly from where we started, but the audience, uh, when an ar the ar not necessarily, because the artists who are cutting edge, who are getting it, are doing it and, te and leading the way. So, um, Yes, in some respects, yes. In some respects, not. And should the audience then be an essential partner in all new business models? I don't know. Uh, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. I don't know. In terms of, I can speak just on behalf of StageIt or because on behalf of other companies. So ultimately, it's still the audience's <laughs> role to be an audience and pay for their stuff. Uh, we think so. To be a part of everything. and uh, We're giving the audience the opportunity to uh, to relate with the artist on the way that they'd like to. See, I, I don't think that we've created a platform where we're giving artists just the ability, we're, ju we're just giving the artists the ability to make money. We've created a platform that allows um, fans to pay, and I think there's a tremendous willingness, high willingness to pay on the fans' part, in particular when they know that the money's going directly to an artist. The old model was uh, going to, uh, to, the, to the record store, to the record label, to the manager, to the artist, and now we're giving fans the ability to go directly to the artist, and uh, that means a great deal to them. So we're not pulling money from fans at all. We're actually th we're opening the opportunity in our tip jar. We're seeing that up to 39% of our of all of our revenues coming from that, which is money that they're putting in on their own. So, um, uh, the audience should go, of course, to stageit.com, right? They certainly should. Thank you, Evan, very Thank much. Thank you. Uh, Janique, next. Janique Seely. Janique, there's an old joke in the music. I don't know if it's a joke or a, a critique in the music business. There are too many lawyers in the business. <laughs> Any lawyers in the audience? Oh. Well, Janique, without wishing to uh, expose or publicly embarrass you, you're a lawyer. I, I am. I am a lawyer. Ex-lawyer or current lawyer? Um, technically an ex-lawyer, um, but you're always a lawyer if you start out as a lawyer. It's a different type of thinking. Um, I've transitioned into a marketing and business development role, which is a different iteration of, of, uh, of my previous career. So um, you're always a lawyer. You always think 
similarly, but the challenge in, in changing roles and becoming uh, on the transitioning to a biz dev side is is to break outside of that box of thinking. So, Janique, you are the head of business development at Atom Digital. Atom is a company that runs the marketing side of a number of very high-profile artists, including Lady Gaga. What are you doing at Atom, and, and, and what did you learn at Harvard Business School that, that has benefited Lady Gaga and the other uh, notable artists in your stable? Well, I... Um Adam, Adam Factory is the is the global um, the umbrella company, the management company that um, counts Lady Gaga, Grace and Chance, Mindless Behavior, Tony Braxton, Nas, amongst other artists um, on the roster. Adam Digital is a sub uh, it's a it's a own separate division. Um, the ma part of the digital marketing team was organized within that division, which is the team that I had. Um, what I learned at Harvard Law School, but um, uh, even adding on some of the business experiences, including at Universal Music and Digital Strategy, is that you have to establish an authentic connection one way or another with your audience. And as the artist gets larger, you have to move from introduction to continuing a conversation where the discussion and the content and the connection is still authentic and it's still relevant. So there's a lot of challenges that, not just being a lawyer, but I think it's an experience in the industry and watching the evolution of the of the the music business, especially on the digital side. There are a lot of lessons to have been learned through failures in the past, business models that did not work, to try to avoid those failures in the future and try to create a different kind of conversation with the audience for the future. You talk about something called authentic connection. Is that the same as Evan's notion of an intimate economy? It actually is. Um, and Evan and I had a little conversation before that we have a lot of the same ideas about what the consumer proposition should be. Um, I actually was at a, a law school alumni event um, a few months ago, and somebody said something to me. I was still working at the uh, at Universal Music Group, and she said something to me. I think to kind of shock me, and she said, "You know, I don't give a I don't give a crap about your guys's music. There's nothing that you can produce that will make me care more than." my nine-year-old niece's um, dance recital video. And I, at first, I, I, you know, I, I mounted an argument why I thought that that was incorrect, and I, I think there should be, and I, I still think that there should be a market for professional musicians. I think there's a, there, there should be a pathway to create uh, recorded music professionally, and I'm very much committed to that. But I thought more about what she said, and what she was saying is that, bottom line, she wanted to care, and she wanted to be part of the story as the audience. So the intimate economy is is allowing fans, allowing individuals that are that are going to patronize your work as an artist to be part of the story and to give them something that they can care about where there's a connection that feels more authentic than just something being pumped at them from a, a large company you know, at, at a distance, so. Do you think that artists know what their audience wants and really the job of the 21st century artist or artist management is to determine what the audience wants? I think that in part the artist is responsible for knowing what the audience wants, but I say that with a caveat. I think as an artist, you need to be so connected to your fan base that they become a part of what 
you produce and that you your content is not only excellent but is relevant to your audience base and continues to be so at, but as, also as an artist your responsibility is to in on another part not be a, a slave to the audience sentiment because in some way you're responsible for pushing us forward in your thoughts and in your creativity responsible for giving us something new that we haven't heard before so in one part you should the connection should be authentic the connection should be direct the content should be excellent but you shouldn't be responsive to your audience and let that drive your creativity what have you done at atom digital that shows that the music industry has a future that the audience is still willing to pay for its music the we've built uh, fan bases for several of our artists um, from almost nothing. Um, we have a, a group, Mindless Behavior. Uh, we have an artist, Grace and Chance, who was a YouTube phenomenon. Um, we manage with Grace and Chance, especially. That's just a quick example. He went from a viral video that was a cover of a Lady Gaga song to having, in his own right, established himself as a musician. He's selling out venues on tour with Cody Simpson. He's gone. He's blown through over 100,000 copies of uh, his first single. He's he has a genuine career, and it's based on leveraging. Uh, conversation with an audience people cared when they saw that first video and it was a responsibility of marketing and especially on the digital side to to amass that sentiment and continue to feed it so that the relationship was built and a, a strong and substantive base was created and not just a flash in the pan experience and moment what do you think that the music business has to teach the rest of the media business journalism newspapers, the movie business, the book business. What have you learned over the last few years since essentially the collapse of the traditional business that will uh, make the general, the broader mu media business healthier in the digital 21st century? I think that the music business, the overarching lesson, uh, at least that I take away from my experience in the music business is that there has to be an experiential layer to consumption of content and the consumption of media. People have to have a substantive why that they can associate with themselves as to why they're coming to your property, why they're consuming your media, why they're consuming your product. It has to give them an opportunity to say something about themselves and an opportunity for self-expression. I think the internet has opened up the gates to self-expression. It's part of almost a basic fundamental right for us now. We want to, we have our own platforms. We want to be able to express ourselves and really broadcast in and of, our, in and of ourselves who we are. And I think in media, um, the lesson from the music industry is that you have to continue to give people those opportunities even as you're serving them content that you've produced. In the experiential economy, um, is the internet still essentially a free marketing giveaway and that the real money is to be made in live acts? Um, I think in, in broad strokes, the, the answer would be a, a very a tepid yes. Um, Only tepid? <laughs> tepid yes, because I think that there's untapped potential um, in the internet space to, um, to leverage experiences that have not been created for people. I think that there's still a huge bridge, or a huge gap between what consumers want to experience, what they're doing in their natural day-to-day um, -day existence, and that they can't really 
do to the highest level but for technology and I think that technology is not yet even though we have an infinite number of um, technology solutions that are offering people you know different types of experiences I don't think we've still we've gotten to the place where technology is actually representing for people what they would like to do but they can't but for technology to its fullest capacity so I think that there's a lot of potential still in the experiential realm within within uh, the digital space but the experiential uh, economy can't be pirated, is that correct? Um, I think when properly exacted, the, the experiential economy can't be pirated. It's, you know, you can't pirate uh, an hour's worth of highly relevant programming that, you know, you're enjoying and somebody picked the exact right songs for you, including the right proportion of songs for discovery. You can't pirate that experience. So if it's done correctly, at, and using that as an example, I think no. So I hope you're more than tepidly optimistic about the future of the music industry. I, I am more than, I, I, I have dedicated my, my career and, and life to the music industry and I, I really do believe in um, having a professional realm for artists. I think it's really important for us as, as human beings and for us as a society to uh, give people the platform to express themselves, especially in this way, and, and artistically and musically at the highest level. So um, just by virtue of my, my presence at Adam Digital, Adam Factory, and within the music industry, um, that's a, a, a very enthusiastic yes, I do feel. Yeah. Thank you, Jeanique Seeley, for a very enthusiastic <laughs> interview. Thank you. Thank you. You will get to ask questions, don't worry, at the end. You ready? You want some water? Good, thanks. Calabas. We ready? Matt Seletic. Is there a Calabas conspiracy at this event, Matt? I think so. Us and Incubus, a whole bunch of other people. So glad to be here, guys. Matt Seletic. Uh, Seletic, uh, uh, Hungarian name from uh, from uh, Calabasas in Southern California. Matt, no need to introduce you to this audience. You're one of the most distinguished figures in the music business. Uh, in a minute, tell me what you've been up to in the last 15 years. Oh, uh, sure. Wow, time myself. Um, I, I, I've grew up in the music business. I was fortunate to start very early. I've been able to uh, make records as a songwriter, record producer, and label owner for the last 20 years, uh, including Matchbox 20, uh, Rob Thomas, Aerosmith, Cl Carlos Santana, uh, on and on, and um, was the youngest ever chairman and CEO of, of a major label when I ran Virgin Records when I was about 32. To, um, so did that in New York. Also have uh, now started Emblem Music Group, which has Matchbox 20 and Rob Thomas, as well as management clients, uh, Tyler Hilton, uh, new artist Gloriana, and a, and a bunch of others on, on the label. And then also uh, am here at TechCrunch, uh, specifically for a company called Music Mastermind, which I formed about three years ago with a, my co-founder. That's all about revolutionizing the way that people interact with music. So we're excited to be here. So Matt, I thought you were one of these old style limo driving or limo 
uh, li li limo traveling music executives who died out in 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 the old ice age. Yeah, exactly right. In all my glory, I showed up here today in a moped, so we're we're doing better. So no. what happened to the limo? <laughs> no, I know. I you know I've been fortunate enough to have a career in music that uh, never started with a silver spoon. Uh, started in a band called Collective Soul years and years ago and we were sleeping on a floor that was a lot dirtier than this trying to make it and and that's the old dream of the music industry that's still alive today that anybody can make it and I think uh, at Music Mastermind we're here to prove that anybody can make it. So what have you what did you learn from sleeping on very I, I can't ever imagine a floor that is dirtier than this one but believe it sleeping on these dirty floors as a as an old-style record executive what did that teach you both in terms of your, 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 your two current gigs, uh, Emblem Music Group and Music Mastermind. What did you learn? I think, you know, artist time honored tradition is that you really have to pay your dues. There, there still is dues paying, and technology allows a new way forward, but there's still dues to be paid. They're just different dues. And I think a lot of our problems in the business has, not, has come from not realizing that the dues paying has changed. People are still trying to pay the old dues, both trying to get in and trying to make money and, and survive as a business, when it's, all, it's shifted, and technology has provided that shift. So what are these new dues? D-U-E-S. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the reality is it goes back to kind of the theme here of connecting with an audience. There's new ways to connect to an audience. It's important that technology allows that to happen and that smart people, artists, artist managers, label owners, etc., figure out ways to make that lasting, make it both intimate and, and, and significant. In terms of this new intimacy economy or experiential economy, what are you doing, particularly at Music Mastermind, that is helping artists monetize their creativity and allowing audience new experiences in terms of their relationships with the artists? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're all about. And, and we're launching later this year, so it's kind of under wraps now. Uh, this, this represents one of the first times we've spoken about this publicly. But Music Mastermind was formed three years ago to create fun and easy ways for everyone to make music. So we've invented what uh, technology is called Sound Better, several patent-pending technologies that allow literally somebody here in the audience to have a musical idea and see it not only just to to a little bit of fruition but all the way through to where it's a fully realized record that has quality and value and, and is based on the, the user's creativity and allows them to share it with the world pretty instantly pretty uh, significantly around uh, in, in an organization a platform that reaches globally eventually and this is an angel-backed uh, enterprise a venture capital-backed one uh, it is currently angel soon to be uh, VC, which we'll be announcing in a couple weeks uh, with some significant partners. We've been fortunate to have some of the best technology partners in the, in the world come and join us here as, as we go uh, live later this year. So you can have a startup in Calabasas and still get the angels and the VCs to put money into it? Yeah, as long as you pay your dues. By the way, is there any uh, anything musical going on when it comes to startups in the Bay Area, or is everything happening in Southern California? <laughs> no, there's a lot. I mean, the great thing about tech is that it's everywhere. It, it could be in Kansas, for all we know. I mean, we've we're currently up to about 50 staff members, and we find them from all over. We certainly hire from here in San Francisco and LA as well. But we found people from Florida. From the the great thing is, much like artistry in general, have talent will travel. Uh, it's tech tech pulls down the barriers and allows anybody to play. Matt, in this experiential economy, is it harder to persuade the artist or the audience to understand the new rules of the game? 
Well, I think the audience starts pushing the envelope way before the, the artist does, uh, e e with, with some significant exceptions. But generally, the, the artists are, are trying to get their craft together while the audience is trying to get their entertainment together. So somewhere in between the entertainment and the craft of, of music making is a new frontier. And that's, that's what this, this conference is about and, and what Music Mastermind is about. Do you agree with that troublemaker, Evan Lowenstein, that elitist? who nice argues hat. that as an artist, it's our responsibility to know what the fans want better than they do? I, I think leadership comes from all angles. And what's great about the tech space is you have tech leaders, you have music leaders, you have business leaders, all coming together to make the new rules. And I don't think anybody has all the answers. I, we certainly don't feel we have all the answers. We're kind of finding new ways to get, get people as diverse as great artist A with, with management company B with record label C to that consumer that's sitting in the proverbial Kansas trying to find their way. So it's a, it's a new frontier. Everybody has their own point of view and it's, it's a great time to be involved with music. What's the future of audience? In 50 years, will there even be a term we use to describe audience or will it break up and become uh, a sort of a, a series of new hierarchies with, with elites and followers? Oh, I think there's still always an audience in the sense that some people ultimately are more creative and can connect more successfully with other people than the people that receive that connection. Um, so I think there will always be need for great talent, be it a great voice, be it a great uh, song writing talent, record making, etc. There's always need for, for talented people and there will be an audience for talent. There's going to be people, perhaps in this audience, certainly on TechCrunch, who are talented. Everyone thinks they're talented. Some people really are. Um, well said. For the kid with a guitar, singing, writing a song, singing a song, what should they do? How, how, how should they uh, develop their career in this new economy? Apart from calling you, of course. Of course, just call me. That's all you need. No, the the uh, the in reality, your limousine yeah, exactly. on your moped, right? My, my moped limousine. So the so no, I think we have all these new tools. I mean, there's a lot of tools represented here at at the conference. The idea of of picking the tools that you can use, just like a guitar might be your tool. You're a great songwriter, and that's your your tool. You don't know how to use a drum machine. That's somebody else's tool. If, if you're great at Twitter, use that as a, as a way to communicate and build a fan base. So I think it's it's. Technology has, has built over the millennia new instruments and new ways for people to make music and connect with music. These are just new instruments for us to connect and communicate. Is Twitter a more powerful tool than any guitar? Not, not in the, uh, the person that can't sing's hands. You know, it still comes down to raw talent. You've still got to have some, some modicum of real human talent, ability to create emotion in the listener. And in the future, for the kid with talent, who is shy or simply disdainful of self-promotion, who can't stand the idea of telling the world how good, how smart, how brilliant they are. Can these people still survive or will they have to learn to be show-offs? You know, it's, it's a great question and I think the 
there's most of them will have to learn to connect with an audience you know not necessarily show off but connect uh, there are a few that are so talented that they might find a manager or a label or all of the above to help them connect and do some of that work for them there's certainly that goes on now in the music industry uh, so I think that's a majorly shifting balance it used to be you could be a shoegazer and be brilliant and that's all it took uh, now it's changed and the, and the balance is very much more for the people that can connect to audience directly uh, people want that connection and er yearn for it um, but there are still some some mysterious strangers out there that are just so talented we want to know more about them in the future is there any a and l uh, sorry uh, whoops freudian error a <laughs> and r in the future is there any a and r yeah, there's there's always A and R. There's crowdsourced A and R. There's specific A and R. You know, there's still still collections of music that need to be focused. Uh, let's say a movie soundtrack. You know, we couldn't crowdsource the a movie soundtrack. Although there's probably some people here that tell me they can. But the reality is there there is need for guidance and focus with music, just like there is with any other business. And some people have that skill, and and they'll learn to survive in the in the future. Matt, pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. That was embarrassing. Shows how much I know about music. Okay, we got the uh, the main. I don't know if this is the main act. Are they here? We've got some real stars now. People who know what they're talking about, rather than these music executives. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be coming. Do you want to? Uh, why don't you sit together? You don't mind talking, sitting next to each other, right? So I'm not sure if uh, this, well, hold on. We good at the back? Einziger. 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 Oh, you said that very uh, okay. proficiently. Where are you from? Thanks, man. <laughs> Calabasas. <laughs> OK, you ready? Um, these guys don't need much of an introduction, uh, although I'm going to introduce them. Brandon Boyd and Mike Einziger from the very popular band Incubus. Yay. <laughs> bar mitzvah. All right. So guys, are we in a new experiential economy? Are you the new experience? <laughs> I love that term. I heard it for the first time today. I have no idea. Honestly. Well, you, well, you went to Harvard, didn't you? Not me, no. That guy right oh, well, maybe we should Have you relax. heard that term before, Mike? Experiential economy? I mean, I guess that makes sense. I don't. I, I'm. I'm wondering when this um, non-experiential economy happened. <laughs> Can we talk about that? <laughs> That's a good one. Well, your your uh, your manager before I before uh, we booked you on this thing, your manager said to me, "These aren't typical rock stars. They're intelligent." <laughs> so does that mean that most rock stars are actually rather dumb, or maybe in the pre-experiential economy, whatever that pre -experiential was? Pre-experiential economy. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Brandon's just um, no. I think that there's um, a relative intelligence that has to be at play for any artist to put themselves out there enough to be heard and seen. And and you said the term um, just a minute ago about you know being shy of self-promoting. You know, um, that's something that that I've struggled with still to this day. I, I, I feel a little bit dirty every time we 
have to do some kind of like advertising or something like that. But I understand <laughs> that there's sort of a necessary evil if I want to do what it is that I like to do. So, um, and my point is, I think that most musicians that have sort of broken through or crossed over have to have at least a very basic understanding of that, you know? So. Mike, is that Maybe what's yeah. changed? You've got to self-promote now? <laughs> well, I mean, you have to at least be competent enough, I guess, to, to sort of align yourself with somebody who you think might have your best interests in mind. Um, is that the audience or your manager? Uh, that's Who do you trust, you guys, as artists? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we have to trust our manager. That, that's, that's actually um, something that hasn't changed. You know, we used to, the, the cast of people that um, were involved in, in what we did, I, I'd say it was probably larger a few years back when, when, um, when we were dealing more with you know, record labels, um, or with our record label. Our record label has shrunken dramatically in size. And um, we, we seem to take care of a lot. We have a lot more control over things in sort of in-house now, I guess, with the tools of um, the, the emerging technology. It's, it think a lot more things are available to us to, to use to our advantage that we just didn't have control over before. But now we do. So do you agree with the, with the great Evan Lowenstein that you as artists know what your audience wants more than the audience itself? I mean, personally, I, I, I don't necessarily feel that I know what our audience um, wants. I, I, that, that, kinda, that idea kind of scares me a little bit, actually. Because Why? Because I, 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 I like to write the music um, and, and perform it. Um, I, I guess I, I enjoy musing on what I think the, our audience wants, but in certain ways that sort of, um, that might uh, even pollute my creative process a little bit. It's a good point, actually. Um, it's, and that adds to the, the strangeness of the creative process, the more interactive um, things become. It's like you find out whether you like it or not, what the audience wants. And I agree with you, absolutely. Like I like to be aware of what they're asking for to an extent, but I like to be kind of unaware as well because it absolutely pollutes the process. And maybe pollutes the is the wrong word. It, well, it's I think it's different for every single person. Yeah, you know, it, it's it influences the process. For, yeah, it's obviously different for for different artists. But that's why you get a really, you know, broad range of different types of artists out there. You know, there are all kinds of different bands and and uh, um, musicians and um, I, I don't know. It's just. The, it varies so widely, you know, and, and some artists are very low key into themselves, and then, you know, then you get like Lady Gaga, and, and uh, I mean, the, there's just a, across the entire spectrum, it's massive. How has the internet changed audience in your experience? I think it's definitely shortened people's attention spans. <laughs> Twitter, right? Blame everything on Twitter. Um, but are they able to listen in more than 140 characters now? Well, I mean, when we were when we were young, um, we we did things like mail out mailing lists and um, you know drive around to different schools to pass out flyers. And in today's world, those are just non-activities. You don't need to do that anymore. That's kind of a waste of time because the internet allows you to be a shameless self-promoter in in the privacy of your living room. <laughs> what about in terms of spending money, though? I mean, the old audience was one that every six months or a year came up with the 15 or 20 dollars that 
allowed you guys to ride around in your limousines. They're not doing that. You anymore. don't know that. What, the limousines? Or yeah, the you don't know that we rode around in limousines. Or mopeds. I'm not saying we did or didn't. I'm just saying you don't know. <laughs> I, I, I thought all musicians rode around in, in limousines. Now you're, now you're stereotyping us. <laughs> exactly. But back to... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I what the question was. <laughs> I knew we went to... It's dangerous to interview a, a rock star who went to Harvard and you asking for trouble. Um, what about, though, this issue of the audience paying you guys? Maybe you don't ride in limousines, but you ride in something. You have to get around. You have to pay your rent. No, we you do have to ride in limousines. We do. We do ride in limousines. <laughs> how, is the, how is the audience, though... How are they subsidizing the limos, then? I mean, yeah. Well, um, that's a good question. We uh, had this interesting experience last week. We have a new record coming out in July, and um, our record was leaked. Somebody hacked into the Sony server and a pirate. A pirate. Yeah. He had a eye patch, patch on his eye. Yeah. <laughs> Wooden leg, scurvy, all of it. Um, Smelt worse than this carpet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was interesting, though, because uh, to my knowledge, it had never properly happened to our band before. You know, I'm sure people have been illegally downloading our music for years, um, but it never had such a direct um, effect on any of us, I know, for certain. And um, it, it, was, it was a strange experience because it felt, um, for about a day, for about 24 hours, it felt like, you know, somebody had broken into the house and taking something that you were making, you know, and... Um, kicked you in the balls. Kicked you in the balls a little bit, yeah. Um, but then literally a day later, I kind of realized that it it took away um, this fear that people didn't necessarily want music anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's this growing um, uncertainty in just in me as an artist. is like, wow, like, how do we continue doing this if we can't you know, make any money, we can't sell CDs and this and this, but, and, and the biggest fear of all was do people even want the music anymore? And what that really reinforces, they really want it. They want it so much that they're willing to like, take it even before you're done with it. <laughs> uh, so so in this weird way, it was flattering. Steal out of your refrigerator. <laughs> why, why was it like being kicked in the balls when they took your music? I mean, it, it's not, I, I guess, you know, just my honest feeling about it is not so much that it felt like being kicked in the balls because the music was taken. It's just that it's like a present that was waiting. It was we were putting the wrapping paper on it and mm. for your audience. They're like, no, 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 we we want that. Let's take nom, it. Nom, 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 nom. And they ate it. It wasn't ready to be eaten yet. So how do you make the audience more patient? I don't know. Put them in jail. But it, but but what, <laughs> but what Brandon's saying is that he's glad that that it showed that they were that they wanted the music. So yeah, they they. They ate it. <laughs> and we are in this quickly. interesting position being in a band where we don't get paid per record sold. You know, our, our job is to create songs and to play concerts, you know, and um, so it, we're in this weird kind of middle zone. Like, people ask all the time, like, how does it affect you? And um, I never knew what to say before because it never really directly affected us until just last week when the record got, got effectively stolen and now it's just kind of out there um, and like I said for about a day how long did it last for you where you were like oh my god we're over like this is gonna ruin our lives kind of a feeling I mean it never it did didn't, it really, it didn't really feel like that to me but it, what it did feel like was that 
we are the ones we are not the ones in control of it yeah. either it's like we're kind of what we think about that is actually sort of irrelevant because mm-hmm. we're we're not the ones in control it's just the it's that's the world that we live in now and i have a feeling by the way on TechCrunch that some of the people who stole it perhaps the original thief is watching this what would you say to them <laughs> uh, this is your opportunity to talk back you can be audience right how you doing old coming for fingers? your patch <laughs> <laughs> and your your parrot yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly it's the, it's the kind of thing where um, I'm just and this is going to sound like a little bit of a cop out but I'm just thrilled that people are still enthusiastic about um, music in general but our music after you know 20 years of being a band there's always this feeling it's like alright you know time up yet kind of a thing and um, the fact that um, so many of our fans are they want it bad enough to steal it is kind of a it's a it's a weird feeling it's like half oh my god I love you and how dare you you know it, there was something something kind of funny happened though as a result of it we you know we do a lot of um, we take part in a lot of activities that kind of directly connect us with our fans like kind of web chats and um, uh, just like we send messages out and um, use all the tools that we have at our disposal to communicate with our fans and I think that there's at least a, a personal enough relationship between us and the people who are listening to our music that we got sort of a, a, a surge of um, messages and emails that kids actually felt really bad about the album leaking you know they, would they started like self-policing yeah like, people would be like here it is check report. it out they were they would report yeah. to us where the links were so it was kind yeah. of like it was kind of like they were like we're sorry guys you know for these you know these assholes who who, who stole the album you know we're, we're gonna go buy it we we pre-ordered it we heard it we listened to it we think it's really cool but well, we pre-ordered it but, too but we bought three copies of it so yeah know. i wonder if those are like the our audience like in their late 20s early 30s who are more conditioned to the older paradigm and it's like the kids who are like nah fuck you guys like yeah (laughs) i'm taking it now (laughs) yeah i want to thank you yeah thank you very much thank you i don't know thanks so we have um we have about 10 or 15 minutes for i think audience questions would be the best way to go the, the artists and the executives have had their say, and now it's you, the audience, who, um, who uh, has the opportunity to speak. So perhaps you could stand up, and we have a mic. Uh, introduce yourself and uh, ask your question maybe to the whole panel or uh, to one of the people on, on the panel specifically. Questions? Um, I just had a quick question about the record being stolen. It's probably maybe you can't answer this, but is Sony responsible for having bad security? Like getting like, uh, I mean, <laughs> if, if you can't answer that, then I, it's they not didn't my align themselves also. with the right people. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if your bank gets hacked into, I assume the bank is responsible for that security. Kind breach. of, yeah. That's actually a really good question. I, I don't, you know, have a a definite answer for you, but the first um, indications would. Lean in that direction, I think, you know, but you know, we're dealing with a a constantly changing and evolving platform here, and so you can only fault um, an organization so much for you know having certain security things in place because 
it's, it escalates. Man, they put the, be the biggest and best thing in place, then someone's going to come and outsmart it, and then they have to do the next one, and so on and so forth. So, but I think yes. <laughs> and it happens to everybody. Yeah. Okay. You know, just does. It's a matter of time. I think Evan had a question for you guys. I just want to say, first of all, it's a pleasure to meet you both. Um, uh, and I apologize for the lack of context with the comment about artists knowing better than their fans. But your your answer actually was is exactly my thinking. Um, and that is that by by making the record that you want to make, you're not asking your, your fans and you're not deleting yeah. the process. So when I say an artist needs to know better than their fans, that means that um, when somebody comes up to you and says, hey guys, we're going to put you in funny hats like this, you're going to dress a certain way, you're going to say, that that's not what I, I'm going to do. Even if, the, even if the fans or they think the fans are saying something, you guys need to make the music that you need to make mm. and then your fans will find that and then you'll continue based on that. So I think that um, there's also different aspects of that, but that is really what I was trying to, the point I'm trying to make. So. Sure. Yeah, there's definitely a, um, a sense that I've felt, and just from being a fan of music myself, when, when some of my favorite bands have put out a record that I think they thought I or we wanted to hear, there's a minute where you're like, yes, when you first hear it, and then when you sit with it for a minute, you start feeling like you've been pandered to. Right. Which is not a good feeling. Absolutely. In the context like of my comment, was absolutely not even uh, yeah, in guess. terms of the of the creative side. I mean, sure. I totally agree with that. It's just more yeah. about <clears throat> knowing when you you guys don't play every show, you know, until the audience has that enough. You know when to stay. Let's play one more show. Sure. I want one more song. Right? You guys come off of the encore. You go back again. Mm -hmm. They really want us. At some point, you sort of say, "Yeah, let's leave. Let's leave the audience. We come back to Minneapolis. These guys will." Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Like, hmm. that's where. There's a lady. Is a lady. Uh, hello, hailing from the Bay Area. I work with, for the last 15 years, a great many uh, artists and startups. Won't even bother to say what or who or where. I, I've noticed that there's a surge here of startups, music startups, where they, um, I'm sorry to use they in a, in a group way, but anyway, a lot of companies will approach me or, or those who are like me. And, um, or I'll approach them and say, you know, I have an artist of a significant size and we're trying to figure out how to work with your platform. What do you got? And generally, a lot of the startups come back, no offense to anyone, and say, you just use the platform. Teach your artist how to use our platform. And if they start using it, then we'll start talking. And so I, I want to ask you, Incubus, how realistic that mentality or that viewpoint is. Would you rather startups hire experienced artist relations people to talk to your team, the size of your band, or do you want to sit around and, and use all kinds of tools and figure out your favorite one? And I'm being very serious. That's a good question, actually. Yeah. I feel like it depends on the technology you're talking about, though. There are certain... If it's something that's quite simple, I think it's better to, to you know, be left to your own devices. Um, there are certain other platforms like live streaming. We're going to be doing something you know, as a band very soon with streaming um, live concerts. And I have no idea. I would need somebody there to, to help you know, us see through that, that first experience. And you know, we, we fortunately are going to have those people with us because it just wouldn't happen otherwise. You know? Yeah, it would. It would just seem. It would seem um, appropriate for the technology to be. Exp it would. It, it would. It would seem appropriate for the the startups to want to discuss these things with you. I mean, it, you know. It, well, I, 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 I think the latest. Yeah. Let's have some uh, other from from the other panelists. Though I'm interested in, in in their response to your question as well in terms of whether these generally these news. I guess marketing platforms. How 
artists I mean your, your basic question is how artist friendly they are you're saying that they're not really for the most part I would say well there's a business like um, who was saying pay your dues part of the dues in the industry is actually the relationships or learning to do artist relations or label relations and then when a startup go, goes out into the world to do label relations and doesn't pull in from the industry people who have experience with that they, the startups tend to go to the new industry and say please figure out our product tell us how it works. I would say my experience actually has been quite opposite of what you described. I I sit with well, I well, it's it's not just the Lady Gaga experience. We there's a bunch of managers I, I mean I'm in a, based in LA, a um, bunch of digital heads at different management companies. We all sit and have lunch together and we all sit and talk about the latest technology company that we sat with. And there's a lot of companies um, that that I've sat I probably sit with maybe five to ten different companies a week um, with technology demonstrations and explaining the platform, whether or not we're using it, whether we decide to use it for a Lady Gaga or a Mindless Behavior or Grace and Chance or a Jesse and the Toy Boys. You know, it's a lot of the companies are sitting with, uh, with management and are sitting with digital agencies and are explaining because I think they understand that it's very important for the adoption of their platform that these relationships are developed and established. I see Chris from Talent House, <laughs> you know, nodding. And, and I'm just, I've, a lot of these people, we all know each other, and 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 they do do that. I'm talking about smaller ones, but that's that's cool. I, I think it's cool that you're getting that in LA. But from our company, we have we have five of our 15 people in our company. A third uh, are artist relations, and pretty much everybody at the company. Um, we say often is artist relations and walks through. So I'd be happy to give you my card after and connect you with someone on our platform and you'll see that we are full on dedicated to walking people through our platform and making sure they're comfortable with it. Matt? Yeah, likewise at Music Mastermind, we, we take full responsibility for connecting one-on-one -on -one with the artist. I mean, we, we do tons of meetings, uh, even down to our, our CTO, you know, who's sitting here. Uh, He's a guy that goes to the meetings and presents the technology in a first-hand knowledge basis. It's important, you know. We're we're all trying to push the envelope. Not everybody is just living on that that same edge. So you've got to you got to educate them and keep them uh, aware of what's going on. Another question. Hey, thanks. Uh, so Matt, do you feel that because uh, technology has given so many different uh, artists the ability to post their own content online, do you feel that? there's an overpopulation of content and how do you find the Brandon Boyds on the internet? How do you know when somebody's going to be your next uh, successful artist? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a giant river of content now, you know, more than ever, user-generated content. And that's that in that giant sea that's created, there will be stars that rise up. And I think technology can find those stars. The, I think the next generation of platforms like what we're doing at Music Mastermind allow those to be recognized, and, and there, you know, technology has a responsibility to help people sort. There's a, there's a simple Matt, can we, I, I don't like this term technology because technology is built by human beings, and you guys are all in the music business. You're building technology from your experience as music executives, as artists, as creative people. So, the technology is just the industry in a new guise, isn't it? I don't think so. I think there's new ways to discover people using technology that weren't there a year ago, six months ago, you know, ten years ago, certainly. So I think I use technology as the evolution of ways to discover. And there are new ways to discover, but it's a, it's a, 
it's a beginning at the beginning phases and you can see it with we talk about YouTube sensations you know for a while that was the big rush my MySpace had the the dibs on for many many years who was the hot new artist and even had started their own label but it, it's always evolving and always shifting so I, I think the, the answer is complicated in reality and I think there's there's a a need for more discovery platforms. I always suspect when someone says the answer is complicated, they don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. um, you guys, I mean, th this is a very important question. There's too much information out there, too much content. And as we, to use this sort of sexy term, disintermediate, lay off, I'll get this one right this time, the A&R people, how are we supposed to find the good stuff? How are we supposed to find Brian and, uh, uh, Brandon and Mike in future? <laughs> It seems like it's at the moment, um, there may be technologies in place that are, have moved beyond this, but it seems like at the moment we leave it up to whatever gets the most views on the YouTubes of the world. You know, like I, somebody showed me Rebecca Black a couple weeks ago. And I, I look, before I noticed anything, before I listened to the song, I'm like, 100 million people have looked at this? Oh my God, this is going to be great. Click. And then what I'm saying is like, it, it seems weird that it's. Um, it's a it's a it's a twisted form of democracy. What's pushing right. the things up, you know, and out into everyone's you know eyesight. So there's, I have to assume that there's going to be um, a better way that emerges. But um, I do agree that the the answer is complex. But I'm also going to say that I have no idea what the answer is. There. Twist, twisted democracy or simple technology solution? And I think well, first of all, I was going to say I think that we have to come to the realization, as tough as it is that we have gone uh, from an industry of hundreds of artists making millions of dollars to millions of artists making hundreds of dollars. And uh, that is, uh, that's just what it is. And I think that uh, um, you're still going to find the few that cut through the noise, but I don't think... Wait, did I say something wrong? No, I said from the limo to the moped. Right. But here's the irony. The model's now been put in the fan people's hands. It's, it's, everyone has a shot now, and look what's—it's still not—it's not being fixed. So it's not like this side. We, it's hard to point fingers when it's just—it's uh, okay for the last ten years. The communication triangle has been flipped over. It used to be a few people at the top talking and everyone listening. Now everyone's talking and few people are listening, and we're still not getting anywhere. We're getting worse off, actually. And that goes back to what Matt was saying before about there does—there is room for uh, editorializing content, and there there probably is going to be a world where we just go, okay, we're we've had enough of hearing each other talk. Maybe we could just find a trusted person, and maybe you know you go, okay, uh, I like Matt's choice of music. I like Andrew's choice of music. I like you know the, the Incubus guys. I like their music. Maybe you guys could start a channel and recommending music that if I like yours, people have tried this in the past and it hasn't worked. Maybe the time is now where we can look to different bands we like and trust them as curators of music and uh, maybe that's where the next, next place it comes from. We've got to end, but we've got two very brief questions from the audience and then we'll have a, a sum up just very briefly. Since we started late, we can end late. Adam Wexler uh, from Athens, Georgia, talking about democratizing music. That's ac exactly what we do. We crowdsource the process. It, we essentially say it's the cliff notes for music discovery by getting all the fans to rank their favorite songs from each of their favorite artists, and then we aggregate the collective opinion uh, to make it easier. And going back to just the general point, I just wanted to, this isn't so much a, a, a question, just more just building on what everybody said. You know, I do think that it's a matter of just sifting you know, you got to break through the noise, and once you break through the noise, the music will really speak for itself, or at least that's what I would like to believe. Um, but it's a matter of you know, being the artists and everybody that works with them just have to be extremely creative about getting over that hump. Mm -hmm. And once you get over that hump, though, 
like I said, the music will, will do the work. I think it's a great point, though, because I think that what potentially could happen is that there's so much more noise now than there ever has been in the general sort of consumer atmosphere that it, there's this opportunity for something better to emerge artistically. There's so much more noise, there's so much more competition, like exponentially more, that something could emerge that just literally blows everybody away and it just, it shows itself and it just gets everyone's attention because of how good or how profound it is, you know? That's where I'm optimistic. And that's that's how the, 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 new, the new artists will be created. They'll, they'll emerge from this, you know, this inundation of, of or oversaturation of t just too much stuff that shapes the next generation of, of what will come out and blow people's minds and yeah. and and I I have a lot of confidence in that so um, I, that makes it exciting yeah. that's you know. the lightning in a bottle right there <laughs> but will people yeah. pay for it you know probably not <laughs> okay so but that's where we have to actually you know I think that there's perhaps a larger conversation at play here there's not only a shift in the way that we listen to music I think there's also a shift in the way that just many many things are happening and on a fundamental level sure. you know it brings into into question a lot more than just the, the industry of trying to sell music yeah. um, we have uh, we have one more question but I just uh, Jeanique, did you have something to add to this well I think that also given that there's a an influx of, of uh, entrance into the music industry attempting to compete in a professional level I think it also creates a business model for curation um, it the, with the the evolution of of availability of content, there are business models and there are opportunities that are starting to present themselves. And I think curation is one of them. And I think also um, it may not be all bad that some of the A and R process is crowdsourced. So those are just my views. Final final question, and then I think mean, we have to wrap um, up. Uh, all right. Uh, so you guys have been talking a lot about. Um, getting the artist an audience, but what about a little bit of the opposite where you're looking to kind of literally just each individual person and help build an audience for a band? Because you were talking about how, you know, yeah, the cream rises to the top, but at the same time, how do you, like, there's so much out there. And how do you go and cater to each individual person and kind of say, hey, you guys would probably like this new band as opposed to right now where a lot of it seems you're establishing, you know, you have the hot guy on YouTube and you want to promote him further, but how do you got, you know, how do you get the person who, you know, sells 100 tickets at their local bar? Very briefly, and then I think we have to end. Uh, Jenny, why don't you start? Well, I think the, the key thing, and this is what we deal with a lot in digital marketing, um, you have to go where people are. So if they're on Twitter you and your audience is on Twitter, you go on Twitter. If your audience is heavily mobile, you go, you focus on your mobile efforts. If your audience is on Facebook, you need to live there um, and understand those platforms very substantively. And also um, leverage um, affinity. So if a person or a, a group of people like a certain band, that's the same concept with touring and opening acts. You have to find ways to translate what happens in the physical, in the digital space, and leverage the technology tools available. I also think if you're doing 100 people in a local market, you're doing fantastic. And um, I uh, started uh, music 18 years ago, and um, 
myself and my brother started playing to 100 people in a local market and then moved around. And I don't think you need to be in a huge hurry. If you're starting to do that in one market, start doing that in three markets and then start doing that in five to seven markets in your local, in you know, an area and get in the van uh, and use everything you, you have um, you know, to, to build it up. I mean, if you think about it, 18 years ago, we were spending an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, we were employing people to go around through the audience with clipboards and, and sending mailers out. Your job's a lot easier now. So have them text in and get their information. The biggest pain in the butt for an artist is not just uh, finding, uh, finding fans, but when you come to a market, making sure those fans actually know that you're coming back. So I, I would start, there, there's, if you're already doing that route, then keep building up on that. That's, I think that will put you a lot further ahead in a year from now than most people are. Yeah, there just needs to be really, really um, good music. That's the that's I mean that's the the simplest thing in the world. It, it, I, I still think, uh, you know, all of these things are changing around us. The scenery is changing, but the the main message or the the main idea is still the same. It's it's um, the the quality of of the art that's being created just has to be of a certain level, and um, and people will take notice. That's the only thing I really add to this well said well said yeah yeah I mean I'll just I'll just agree it, it's always the artist's job to communicate and that holds as true today as it did 50 years ago when the music industry started I want to thank great panel thank you very much all of you